to Life or Die, the podcast which discusses all things role-playing and wargame related. To coincide with the release of Cyberpunk 2077 uh, on gaming consoles and PCs, we thought we'd have a look at the inspiration for that game, the pen and paper role-playing game Cyberpunk. Um, I'm going to be joined in this podcast with by uh, Bob and Craig, who have um, varying degrees of experience in Cyberpunk. Um, uh, we'll start with Craig. What's what's your background with Cyberpunk? Yeah, so Cyberpunk for me was probably just movies um, in the kind of early nineties. Probably a little bit too young, but um, getting into things like Akira and the uh, Verhoeven movies, and then later on uh, Johnny Mnemonic, Strange Days, that kind of those kind of movies, and then later on with the Matrix as well. Um, so yeah, I've, I've kind of grew up with cyberpunk as a as an aesthetic. Um, again, if my older brother was quite into all that sort of stuff as well. So, um, aye, it's always it's always been something I've I've kind of gravitated towards. Uh, and then later on, getting into a career in IT, uh, doing it for real, and obviously just the world as it is at the moment is starting to get a bit a bit cyberpunk. Um, so yeah, I think that that's. My kind of grounding in it, in terms of um, games and RPGs, I think, yeah, I, I, Deus Ex on the PC was a big one for me. Uh, that leaned heavily on cyberpunk tropes. It was an RPG as well, so it gave you a, gave you a little bit of experience of that that world. Uh, yeah, I absolutely loved that game. Played through it multiple times. And then, in terms of the tabletop, I uh, Cyberpunk twenty twenty was my introduction to pen and paper role playing games, GM by yourself, Gordon, um, and that was it was a great to kind of let loose in a, a fully realised um, retro future Cyberpunk Glasgow. Um, pretty fun, and I was I was really looking forward to the Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven game. It's been obviously on the cards for many years now and I've been following it closely and then uh, the, the big release happened and it's obviously not, not been as well received as we'd all hoped but I hadn't, hadn't yet upgraded to a, a new console or a new PC to run it yet so I'm, I'm quite glad I, I kind of kept my cards close to my chest there um, but yeah that's, that's probably me And what about yourself Bob? What's, what's your background with Cyberpunk? Uh, so, similar to Craig um, I think Probably the earliest cyberpunk thing I can think of just off the top of my head would be Blade Runner, um, which I had actually seen at quite a young age because it was one of my dad's favourite films. Um, so that that was really that was the first thing, and I really liked that film. Um, <clears throat> it was prominent in video games as well. Um, System Shock 2 is the first one I can think of, um, which was heavily, it leaned heavily on the kind of augmented sort of person kind of idea, like the RPG elements and that. It was mainly kind of upgrading cybernetic implants that your character had. Um, I can't remember now, I think there were, there were skills and things as well, but the, the actual augments were a, a big part of that game um, and that was a kind of a 
one of a, it was one of my favourites when I was younger. So, um, and it kind of uh, touched on some of the other things about corporations as well, but um, which also leads me on to kind of round about the same sort of time. I was I really liked the Robocop films as well, um, which is you know based on changing a man into a machine and. The, it's got motifs of like this all powerful corporation and things uh, so I, it was something that, that I kind of grew up with um, like Craig says later on you had things like The Matrix um, and uh, I do remember Johnny Mnemonic as well, I quite <laughs> quite liked that film um, basically a guy with a, fra- a flash drive in his head <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> and uh, uh, round about after the year 2000, I think I would have been about 12 or something. I think that's when Deus Ex came out. It was a whole series of those games, but like Craig, I'd, you know, I played those through multiple times. Um, and it was similar. It, it leaned on things from System Shock, like uh, augment, you know, uh, augments that your character had, uh, as well as skills and and things that could be developed uh, and other RPG elements, um, and it made it interesting to play through multiple times uh, because there was different ways to approach the situation. Um, like I said, there was a whole series of those games uh, right up until about twenty sixteen for the PC. Anyway, um, you know, which I I played uh, even up until this year. I'd, I've replayed some of them. Um, and I think it was maybe about a bit over a year ago, I think it was probably 2018, um, I actually ran the Cyberpunk 2020 uh, paper and pen RPG um, as a kind of homebrew campaign. I think we did about 12 uh, instalments for that. Yeah, that was a big deal because that was... The first time you'd went into GM, and am I right in saying that? Yeah, that, yeah, that was the the first game that I that I kind of uh, that I ran. Uh, even wasn't actually using the source material; it was just a kind of a my own concoction. Um, I, and uh, I hadn't actually played the paper and pen RPG myself, um, but it was obviously very. I felt like the material was somewhat familiar because all these things in culture you know that you've grown up with it's uh, you, you have your own kind of mixture of it from from the things that you you know that you liked when you were growing up yeah one of the things i think is really good about the cyberpunk genre is that you when you grew up with those kind of the action science fiction action films of the 80s um there, were, there was a lot of sources of inspiration, um, if you like, for your for your your campaign because so many things are, are touchstones to the genre. Um, you know, Blade Runner, I, I would agree, is the key the key one which really uh, set it all up. I mean, I, I've always imagined the cities in cyberpunk to be the Los Angeles and and Blade Runner. Um, that that kind of look always raining. Um, and then you did, you know, as Craig mentioned, you get Akira, which was um, another great cyberpunk film. Um, there's also Ghost in the Shell, is another one. 
Um, but it was all, as well as Johnny Mnemonic and, and um, Strange Days, I'd seen both of those and liked those both. But The Matrix seemed to be the one that really kicked it out into the mainstream. I think up until then it was a fairly select science fiction crowd that were into these things, but suddenly The Matrix was like a massive, massive film, massive success um, in the late 90s, I think that was about 98, The Matrix came out. Um, yeah. And so all these, all, one of the strong points of the cyberpunk game is that you could use elements from all these different great films and make it your own. Um, so I can understand the attraction to you to make that your first game that you were you were going to run. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, thinking on just what you were saying there, um, even things like the Alien franchise had elements of cyberpunk in it with, you know, with the large kind of corporations uh, kind of that had overtaken everything. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there's kind of fan suggestion that that was in the same universe as Blade Runner whether that's the case or not doesn't matter, but um, it's like you're saying, I think, even though I hadn't played that game myself, Cyberpunk 2020, um, I kind of ended up, I felt quite an easy game to, to run because there's so many different like uh, films and games and things over the years that have elements from that. Um, and I think mine ended up being some kind of a, it was like a world that was based on elements from, from all of those kind of things. Um, and uh, it was an interesting game to run, certainly, uh, even though the, there's there's uh, interesting elements, but from a story perspective, it was, it felt like a, quite a rewarding one to do. No, definitely. Um, I mean, I found that myself when I've, I've run, uh, Cyberpunk over the years. Um, I'd, I'd run it with a group quite a, a bit, well, in fact, early 90s, uh, I, ran a, I ran a group. Um, the version of Cyberpunk that, that we're all talking about, by the way, tonight is um, is the second edition Cyberpunk, which is 2020. And um, yeah, I had that, I ran that, in, I think about 90, 93, 94, I think it was. I, I ran that for about 12 weeks or so. And um, yeah, I mean, it, the game seemed really futuristic, and yeah, it was only um, the last, when I've been thinking about doing this podcast, the last few days, I realised how much the world had kind of caught up a bit uh, with, with cyberpunk, and like Craig said, it feels like society's becoming more and more cyberpunk all the time. Um, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, well, the, the interesting thing about that is uh, there's all this going on with, like, digital currency now, Um not cryptocurrency and uh, the kind of issues with like cyber attacks, you know, like people's data getting hacked and all this kind of thing. Like, it's, like you say, it's it's like cyberpunk coming into real life almost. Yeah, and this yeah, surveillance survive. Uh, sorry, surveillance society that we've got as well a bit now. Sorry, Craig, what were you going to say? No, no just I, I was watching something on the news a while back about the. Looking at conflict in Syria and things, and a lot of the, the big oil companies out there are now hiring kind of PMCs themselves to to kind of look after their assets. And you've actually got you know private private military forces hired by big you know um, um, 
oil industry giants to to defend their assets and they're fighting against kind of sovereign troops of a, of a different country and it's just it's a, it's a whole thing that's obviously played out in, in a lot of the kind of cyberpunk tropes as well okay. yeah it's like literal kind of corporate warfare <laughs> definitely that's uh and, and the idea then, I think, is, well, it probably always was the case that, like you said, oil companies probably had more money than, than some governments did. But, you know, the the, uh, the fact that there's so many huge corporations, you know, the Apples and the Amazons of the world that, that now, now are bigger than America even, um, in terms of their, their assets, the, the amount of money that they have, um, it's just it's went to another scale, so yeah, that's I suppose that's one of the downsides of globalization that some companies have got a bit too much power now. You could argue, <laughs> um, no doubt, will get the corporations coming after me for saying stuff like that. But <laughs> um, anyway, I, just to give you my own background with, with cyberpunk, um, again, I was a well, I'm technically a child of the seventies, but I grew up. In, in the 80s and, and saw the same kind of films and had the same interest in all those films um, and yeah and I, as I said in the early 90s I, I started uh, running cyberpunk and had a lot of fun with that um, particularly we, we were one of the players was re- really engaged with the, the, the setting and started telling me what his character was up to in between sessions um, so I kind of run, ran it almost like each session was a week apart, you know, almost in real time uh, with, the, with this future world. And so he would tell me what would have happened in that week and what he was up to his nefarious deeds. And um, one of the things that was really interesting about that, and it, it kind of changed my philosophy a lot and how I was doing role-playing up until then. I think role-playing was just, you interacted with what was there and the thing in front of you. Most of my experience at that point had been playing Judge Dredd, so it was, you were looking at it from a investigation so it was more about solving the crime and, and, and things like that um, and then I did a bit of Warhammer Fantasy battle but again it was just it was kind of dipping in and out play but yeah the way that he did did that in that particular uh, campaign meant when I going forward when I started um, when I get the chance to play role playing games I, I was definitely engaging a lot more heavily with the, the setting and with the game master um, and trying to give the character that depth that they, they, they were thinking you know, there was stuff going on out with the game, um, and that's carried through. You know, um, well, obviously when when you ran uh, Cyberpunk again uh, for me, uh, Bob, um, when I was playing your game, um, I think I did carry that kind of thing that that ethos into it and and kept it. The character was always up to stuff from memory <laughs> in the background. Yeah. Yeah, your character was um, really involved in the the story, and uh, I think uh, the thing I liked about Cyberpunk was what you said that it was because it was easy to draw on all these different familiar elements from you know media that you've consumed throughout your life. Um, it felt like it was for me anyway. It felt like quite easy to make a quite quite a rich kind of environment for you guys to just to go around in. Um, and you obviously you added to that quite a lot by uh, sort of putting in backstory of what your character was doing in between sessions and what his motivations were and things like that. 
Um, and it, it kind of, uh, I felt like it helped us build up a quite a cyberpunk world. No, definitely. It was a, it was a lot of fun doing that. But yeah, um, so that guy, that one player, kind of changed my ethos about about role playing, um, and I did it again in Alien as well. We played that quite recently, uh, the free league. Uh, RPG and and I <laughs> um, that all came out eventually in the wash and I was trying Craig Craig character was getting blamed for things but yeah we'll not get into that and now we'll we'll, uh, we'll when we talk about that in the alien podcast that we'll, we'll, we'll plan to do in the future as well um, so I suppose one question would be then what do you it's kind of it's a question that's a bit controversial amongst the cyberpunk community and Facebook it seems anyway. Uh, what do you deem to be cyberpunk? Because a lot of people don't know what the term actually means. What what would you say the main things were that they made something cyberpunk? Um, we'll start with you, Craig. Yeah, so it is a it is a hard one, and I get I get the contention around it. I think I think it's that kind of like pioneering, living on the edge type element, rather than being a kind of glossy vision of the future. It's, it tends to be people making their way in the world as best they can and just kind of, I don't know, kind of fighting with the elements around them. Um, I think that, that for me kind of makes it more cyberpunk than simply being a, a kind of glossy sci-fi look at the future. Um, obviously the elements of yeah, obviously the elements of things like dealing with augmentation and what it is to be human and all those kind of things come into it as well. Yeah, the technology is definitely a a big part of the what makes cyberpunk. I think the the fact that you can have all, you can essentially augment your your character. Or the physical being in all sorts of different ways with different technologies. Um, yeah, I'm coming, we'll come on to that in a minute as well. Talk about some of those technologies. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with all that, and I, w- I would add that the things about the corporations as well that, that, that um, Bob had alluded to there. Um, that whole thing where the, the corporates own everybody, they own the city, they own everything, and yeah, I agree with you that everybody else is down at the bottom and, and trying to simply survive all of this. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely gritty and kind of horrifying. Um, i definitely say that about it. What about you, Bob? Is there anything else that you would add to that? I think for me, like, cyberpunk as a genre has, like, a few kind of core elements and depending on the film or you know the book or the, the game sometimes they explore other things as well um, but the core for me the core things is that it's generally like a dystopian kind of setting that's in the future with like high technology um, corporate corruption it's got a kind of stylistic element that you know in film and stuff it's normally dark it's raining um and there's like neon signs and all this kind. You know, it has like a style of its own. Um, yeah. And the te- technology side, it's usually 
like high tech computers or augmentation, as you say. Um, and it, so for me, they're kind of some of the core sort of things of, of that style. Um, yeah, you'd expect to see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, where we'll talk since we're moving on to technologies, um, I thought I'd run through some of the the vast number of technologies that there are in um, cyberpunk. Um, so you get fashion wear, which is technologies which are you know you can have like glowing tattoos um, on your body, or perhaps strands of hair which have been implanted, which which can glow different colours and so on like that. But there's also more functional technologies such as a biomonitor um, which is implanted in the forearm and it monitors your pulse temperature and your blood sugar which made me laugh when I read that that um, description again it sounds like a Fitbit um, Coming back to that like um, like a Fitbit and also the, the hair implants and stuff um, like you've obviously got that kind of uh, alt culture and that's in real life and people can have like implants like uh, like piercings and things but implants uh, and all, but also on the tech side of it um, like you've got Elon Musk working on Neuralink which is, he describes that as a Fitbit in your head uh, <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> but then there's also um, you know like medical uh, augmentations like people have in real life for like lost limbs or um, like hearing problems and things like that so I feel like there is some real life applications there coming uh, I remember going way back to the kind of early 90s I think it was one of the professors at the University of Reading was one of the first was he one of the first people to become cybernetically enhanced officially because he, he got the he got the RFID um, chip Implanted in his arm that opened all the doors in the university, so he could just walk around and kind of wave his hand over the doors. That was one of the first ones, but that was yeah, it's been coming up for thirty years ago now, maybe. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard of a lot of people doing doing that kind of thing. Um, there was there was a TV program on about it a couple of years ago. Um, a bunch of people that had done that type of thing, but it's uh, it does seem to be happening more and more. Yeah, the implants are another thing that's in the, the, another technology in the game where you get you can have gills implanted to let you breathe water. And there's a organ that you can have which essentially creates more oxygen and it lets you hold your breath for a long time. Um, there's even like a pocket under the skin so you can stash hidden items into your body, uh, which reminds me a bit of a film called Videodrome. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, it's a, David Cronenberg film which had weird stuff like that going on in it um, so yeah the implants side is, is really interesting and a bit disturbing um, you've also got bioware in cyberpunk which is like you can have muscle literally grafted onto your body to make you uh, stronger there's skin weaves which toughen the top layers of the skin giving you kind of armour um, and you can even have nanobots surgically healing you from inside uh, microscopic nanobots um, and as Craig alluded to earlier on you can also have uh, some cyber weapons grafted onto your body and, and um, you can get like, big knucks which are like uh, knuckle dusters that are permanently surgically implanted on your on your uh, 
and your knuckles, obviously. <laughs> and then, yeah, Craig, your character had the, the Wolvers, which are the essentially Wolverines, um, the kind of blades that he's got in his, his fist. Yeah, which I agreed, there was always a, a, a kind of cool uh, and craftily stolen idea <laughs> for Cyberpunk. Um, there was also... For, sorry, on you go. For augmentations, would, would, you, um, would you get one in real life? No. I don't think I would. I think I'm too old for all that kind of stuff, I think. I'm too old school in a lot of different things. That's why I still run paper and pen RPGs. Um, I, I have went through periods where I've played a lot of video games as well, but uh, to me there's something about... As, as good as, in, as an immersive as the computer games are, there is something about dealing face-to-face with people or as more recently we've had to do, doing it over the internet, but there is something about role-playing games that's just still, to me, better than playing a computer game online, even when, you, even when you've got online options to have other people in your team. You just don't have that. Nobody really does the role-playing aspect, if that makes sense. Everybody kind of um, essentially just controls yeah. their characters and has general chat. It doesn't do that. It doesn't. They don't really get into the whole thing of this is who my character is and, and all that. Um, I think it could work, actually, now that I think about it, um, that you could do that. But I think, I suppose, part of the thing against it is that when when you're playing a computer game, there's, there's a lot more... Uh, everything's quite frantic in a computer game, whereas in an open game, you can really slow down the combat and allow yourself time to think about what it is that you're doing and, and being able to... I think in a computer game when the action's non-stop it's very hard to, to roleplay because you're trying to concentrate on blowing the thing up in front of you or whatever it is, shoot whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in the, the RPG there, is, there are a lot more opportunities for roleplaying because the GM rightly won't always be doing action, it'll be interactions with NPCs where you're trying to find out information or whatever it is you buy trading with people you know all sorts of different kind of social interactions that probably wouldn't feature in a video game and if they did you probably wouldn't enjoy it that much because <laughs> you're only interacting with a with a programmed response I suppose um, so you're right yeah, it's, it's not the same you know kind of uh, you don't get the same interaction with characters in a video game a single player and if it's online there are options for that kind of role playing but it is all in real time and you're always going to have you know people playing the game their own way so it's not the same as kind of exploring like a world where everyone's you know like a paper and pen game where everyone's agreeing that they're going to play a character and kind of keep to character like most of the time um you know, if you're playing online, you might have someone running around like trolling people or or something. Or I think I think there's room for that in pen and paper RPGs as well, though. To be fair, I think, I think especially with Cyberpunk 2020, with the kind of massive amount of kind of character customization you can do, and you can kind of you can sync all your your character points etc. into you know being a kind of human weapon, or you can just do it all and being a you know a member of a band and just spend it all on tattoos and then hair implants and I guess the two of those types of people might not necessarily 
gel in a in a group or when it comes to things like combat or or whatever else. But I guess if they're they're playing it on their own way and it, and it works, then it's all good. I think it's uh, actually quite a good thing sometimes to have a mix of different styles in a group. Um, it does mean the potential to pull in different ways. Um, but I, I do think, generally speaking, um, if everybody's different interests in terms of what they want to do with their character, then they tend to work better as a cohesive whole because the ones that are good at... Um, the solos essentially will dominate the combat, I suppose, in, in um, Cyberpunk 2020. Sorry, we will get into the different roles and so on in a, in a follow-up podcast. Um, you know, whereas the the uh, fixers, the kind of um, street streetwise kind of dealers of information, they, they can then come in and find out information which is relevant to the plot and and uh, where the, the techies can develop and fix. New equipment, all these different characters should be able to complement each other um, in a session. So I don't always, I don't think it's. I suppose the the the, the biggest tensions come if you've got players that are that want to be more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of slightly more hesitant and in getting into trouble and things. And if you've got somebody that's just like a a tank basically that that wants to go in and fight everything. Yeah. Then I think at that stage, then you probably will start getting some tensions within the group uh, because of it. Yeah. Um, it would bring, bring us back to the implants and uh, what's available. I think Bob was actually originally asking, would you would you get one in, in real life? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> you would because because I'm uh, because I think I'm so old fashioned. I don't. I think yeah, I, I think I, I find. I, I, Technology in general quite frustrating, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Anytime technology is in my life, there's, eventually ends up with control alt delete at some point, and I just mm. don't have the patience for it, and I don't like it particularly. Um, you do seem particularly cursed with it. <laughs> it could be, it could be uh, maybe maybe best avoided it. I got to reboot your arm every morning or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, what happens when the when you you can't get the software update? That's that's the other thing that worries me. You know, if you don't have the money to do it, does it does it become obsolete like every other computer that's you know out there? It lasts for so many years and then it's okay. That's yeah. you need something. I, I, think, I think that's the other, that's another element of it as well, which has been played on in quite a few kind of cyberpunk movies and the likes. Is the the idea that you you side with a particular corporation's wetware or or implants and then that gives them a degree of control over you because they've got some sort of kill switch or they've got a, an ability to you know, gather all your information or, or control you or whatever so yeah. I, think, I, think we're quite, I think we're already quite close to that as it is with the virtual I mean, assistants and Fitbits and everything I mean would you, would, would you two how, how would you feel about that kind of stuff yourselves? Mm, depends, what it, depends what it is, I wouldn't I wouldn't go risking my uh, risking my life for a, a glowing tattoo, but I don't know, maybe some rovers. I think that would be handy. I'm <laughs> sure <laughs> you might get those. <laughs> um, I don't know. It depends what it is. Um, it's funny how you're talking about the kind of selling your data and all that kind of stuff. Like that, we're all we're all kind of. 
doing that already with mobile phones. Um, yeah, and social and, media as well. We're all handing I mean, over our personal information and everybody's following us through, through cookies. I, and think, I think it's naive. There's people out there that still don't quite get how economics work, that Google and Microsoft and Apple and whoever else aren't giving you all this unlimited storage on their platforms on the likes of YouTube or, or whatever for free. It's, it's not for free. It's costing them an absolute fortune to store all that data. You get it for free because they gain so much from that transaction in terms of marketing and just kind of knowledge about you. And you can then sell on. It's, it's yeah, well, it's it's like tailored advertising data, isn't it? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Because um, you have um, something we've not touched on is um, that I think nowadays you have like a digital self, you know, which is like. The culmination of your emails, your browsing behaviour, um, all the marketing stuff that you've agreed to, <laughs> which is kind of less cool than it was sold to us. I think again, in lots of in lots of um, cyberpunk media, that's you know that that's played with as well. That you've got this avatar on the on the net, or you've got this avatar in the in the cyberspace, but it's it's generally like a you know a cool version of you. Do all these well wonderful things, whereas in actual fact, it's your digital avatar is just you, just your your credit score and uh, your your mother's maiden name and all that kind of stuff, which is probably less sexy. Yeah, but also what what they can best sell to you and when. Mm, yeah, absolutely. You know, that's kind of to me. That's like what your digital self is. It's like the culmination of of uh, your behaviours from like a sales point of view um, which that can then be sold to whatever companies could best meet your needs you know as well as pay for whatever you know Google or Microsoft's uh, you know give them a cut of the, the revenue for for basically it's like almost targeting the specific ads that are personal to you um, and specifically in Europe think it's actually changed the internet for the worse because you'll notice every web page you go to you've got like GDPR uh, permissions uh, pop-ups coming up saying can we use your data and you know if, if you've, you've probably just clicked agree but if you've ever clicked the other button uh, which usually it's not always called the same thing mm-hmm. um, a lot gives you it gives you like a massive list of like things that you if you don't want yeah. it you have to uncheck it all <laughs> it's a thing that I mean, I'm, I'm quite kind of glad of it to be honest because it does give you a bit of a reminder now and again that about what you are giving up when you when you sign up to a new website or even when you visit a new website that kind of thing um, yeah it's good that I think it's kind of good that, although it's annoying to get the pop-ups, I think it's, it's kind of good to ground yourself a little bit and remind yourself what, what you give up when you when you take the easy route of going to one of the big corporations. Or, or yeah, so being on by corporations definitely a a, a a present thread that's 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 a cyberpunk theme definitely. Um, just getting back to the actual technology of the game. Um, there's also cyber optics, which are you know eye implants, and you can get infrared vision. Um, thermographs are a bit like predator vision. 
Um, you can also, if you if you get smart gun links where you link your body up to a, a physical weapon, you can get targeting scopes and you can get you know um, scrolling text coming down over your eyes telling you what's happening in the, the world, kind of data coming up in your in, in your eye. And I always liked that idea. I always thought that was a really cool idea. Um, and I, I, we're getting slightly closer to that. Wasn't the, the was it Google get some kind of glasses or something like that 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 do something like that where they, they bring up data or something put overlays over your over your vision. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a while back. It worked really well as well. It was, I think it was a pretty decent product, but um, but they canned it. I think, I think basically the world wasn't quite ready for it yet. Right. Uh, Google Glass, that was called. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really just an experimental thing. They released it for yeah. a kind of public beta. Um, it was just yeah. toying. Yeah, so I saw quite a few folk with it, with it on in Glasgow and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I think, it, I think it's just one of those ones that the technology worked, you know, as well as you could expect it. Um, but there's just so many, when you think about the, the legalities of it all, if you're allowed to walk into a cinema wearing them or not even driving with them, that kind of thing. There was just so much to it to be ironed out that they more or less parked it. But I think it will come back around again. Yeah, eventually they'll do it. Um, I, think, I think it's seen more kind of enterprise and professional applications at the moment. Yeah, so they've, they've, went, they've, they've now kind of moved on to augmented reality using things like smart glass or whatever, yep. which, is, which is projecting virtual 3D elements into the world in front of you. Yep. That's, that's been used a lot by the, by the military and, and architecture and, and everything, and then obviously coming back to gaming. I think, I think we talk about that being one of the future future tabletop gaming that you'll, rather than going to Games Workshop and buying a box of Space Marines and taking them home and cutting them out of sprues and painting them up, you'll, you'll just buy a kind of download pack and then it'll just appear in front of you. You can still, you know, physically move, physically move them around in, in front of you, but um, I'll save a lot of storage. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of okay with it, but I think, I think at some point you just have to think, what's the point? Why would I not just play it on the computer? Yeah, I think even a lot, of, even a lot of board games now contain a, an element where it requires an iPad or requires some kind of augmented reality. The XCOM game that came out recently has that things like so some some things for the better. A lot of the fantasy flight games like Manchester Madness, Imperial Assault use um, use the use an app on the iPad to allow you to effectively have the, the dungeon master control by an AI or, or whatever, which which frees up a player slot for for someone to be on the on the playing team, which is great. Or you even allows you to play solo, which is which is really good. But I do worry about going down this kind of augmented reality route or the or the route where you don't have anything physically in, in front of you and it kind of Yeah. You know. I don't um I don't know how much truth's in it, but I remember hearing a little while ago about a company that was doing like contact lenses that you could wear and they weren't for like vision correction, it was so that you're it linked like with your phone and it would um have like augmented reality elements that could appear, you know, in front of you, um, similar to Google Glass, but like a less kind of obvious, you know, it wouldn't obviously wouldn't really look like you had anything 
there. Um, yeah, but I, 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 think, I think that's one of the. I think that is the big stumbling block for it. Isn't isn't the technology? Uh, technology exists for all of this. It's the acceptance in society of knowing that someone sitting across from you in the bus could be filming you or whatever. You know. Yeah. Um, Without, without your knowledge, which you know happens a lot as as it is with people with mobile phones and things, but um, but even more so if it's if it's yeah, if it's going around their daily lives and everything's recorded. I mean, we've got things like that with dash cams at the moment, which have been great for insurance and but um, <laughs> but, again, but again, it's just the normalisation of of that kind of thing um, is. You know, brings great benefits, but also has a little bit of a sinister side attached to it. Yeah, yeah I think the, the, positive, about... the positive side I would say from it would be if you were going to things like museums and so on, and if it was like you're walking around and this thing was telling you information about these like the things that you're looking at, I think in those kind of circumstances I can see the benefits of it, but I agree that it could be, mm. like all technologies, yeah, it can be completely misused. Yeah, I mean, the trade-off with that is you could be live-streaming it to 10,000 people and then that museum loses out on 10,000 visitors. Or, I mean, I, I think, it's, yeah, it will be abused, of course. Uh, I think it's always a problem. It's funny how we have these kind of cyberpunk elements in real life, you know, like with the phones and stuff, that people don't really think about it because it's like, it's happening in the background. Like, it's just a phone, like, you know, you could... You could leave it in the house, like when you know when would you ever leave it in the house? That is kind of the point. Um, but things like Google Glass or something like that, or like the contact lenses or the you know the NFC like implant. Say you had like you know like an NFC implant in your hand to make like Google Pay or whatever. Like I think there is like a barrier there to people accepting that. Um, because it's like crossing the line a wee bit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that, that is, that's where we're at. We're at the stage now where the technology is surpassing the, the willingness for society to adopt it, which is potentially the first time it's happened. I mean, it, it could have always. I guess it's always a bit of a a race. Um, but yeah, certainly now the, the technology exists for many of these things we've seen in sci-fi for for a number of years. But the society just isn't ready to adopt them. Driving car, um, automatically driving cars, like the Teslas and stuff, are a prime example of that. I mean, they they they've been proven to drive themselves autonomously, albeit with some caveats. I think certain British countryside roads leads them to just driving. <laughs> Certainly in the in the, the wide open highways of the states, etc. They, they've been proven to drive safely you know, by themselves. Yeah, a much much lower kind of accident rate, but again, it's one of these ones that are so many legal barriers as well as just kind of societal acceptance barriers to it that it's probably not going to become mainstream for well, you know, a while yet. It's funny that you mention autonomous driving um, because I think there's a huge like industrial and economic benefit to that happening. Um, which, you know, we're, we live in a capitalist society, a capitalist world, practically. Um, so I, I actually think that the economics might drive that to happen. Yeah, well, um, it's, it's obviously it's a massive 
on, on, it's massive this this week, particularly for the UK. You've got if you look at the, the photos of um, of Kent and, and Dover at the moment, where you've got tens of thousands of lorries and trucks full of full of goods stuck in the harbour and or on the on the way into the harbour side, and you've now effectively got ten thousand delivery drivers having to having to camp in their in their trucks and obviously a lot of them are kitted out for a few days anyway because they expect these sort of things to happen but yeah if, if that was all autonomous it just wouldn't it wouldn't matter massively i think i think for you know movement of goods and stuff that, that has to happen i'm trying to think i think the movie that played on that slightly was it was it logan old man logan um the, the wolverine movie set in the future that that had a scene in it where all the, the trucks were effectively cabless kind of carriages on wheels driving down the highway and they were all autonomous and they were kind of, there was a bit of a kind of chase scene kind of diving in amongst them but it does it does kind of in a, in a similar way to the way that the, the UK's Victorian or you know, prior to that rail network is, is kind of collapsing under its own weight and isn't sustainable anymore I think our the road system is, is similar when it comes to getting goods up and down the country and across countries, if they kind of want to continue to use that, then the only real way to do it with the density they're going to be able to, they're going to need is to have things driving autonomously at 100 miles an hour, you know, edge to edge, bumper to bumper with one another, and not causing an accident. Um, and and again, I think I think the the data has shown that it is safer for the most part if you've got a full if you've got a fleet of fully autonomous vehicles all networked together all in contact with each other knowing each other's speeds knowing each other's braking distances they can gather kind of crowd crowdsource data from one another about road conditions and optimal driving and stuff whereas at the moment you could have that and then chuck a a 17 year old in a souped up course in the middle of it and just cause chaos <laughs> so i think i think i think the sooner the as soon as the human elements removed from that, the, the better. And I, I, for one, it may, it's one of those, it's one of those things you, you might think. What's the kind of thing you? What's the technology you look forward to the most? And that's a question I ask in a second. But what's the technology you, you look forward to the most that you fear you might miss out on in, in life? And I guess jetpacks. One of those ones is like, oh yeah, jetpacks. Yeah. But uh, you know, you might want to see the, the cure for the cure for cancer or whatever, but for me I think it's the it's the basically the car that can come and pick you up from the pub. <laughs> yeah, and you just roll it. You just you just roll into it and it takes you home and then that's it. Twenty people you know, never having to get a taxi again, never having to <laughs> yeah. worry about any of that. That just to me that just sounds amazing. But I think part of the you reason know, these things aren't being accepted is because um there's that human thing of you don't want to hand control over to a to a machine. I think there's a there's a rightly or wrongly there's a perception that the machine can have errors and humans can better deal with particularly if there's an emergency situation, they can think in their feet and computer algorithms won't cut it. I, I know yeah. that's probably wrong because a computer can think a lot faster than a than a human yeah. can. I, I think I think there's general concern I and mean, AI is a, a big subject in itself and I think there's a there is a concern about handing over complete control to machines and for for risk of a, a judgment day scenario from Terminator or something just less kind of severe but still impactful. I, I think I think that 
yeah, there, there is this inherent mistrust of of machines. Um, but like a lump, it, there is in terms of we've got you know medical artificial intelligences now that can diagnose things much more accurately than humans can. Obviously, they're still fed from data from humans. But, a lot of this kind of has to start somewhere with a human, but uh, yeah, I think handing over complete control is still a, a bit of a barrier. And again, this is where just kind of getting at earlier this idea that it's not the technology that's limiting us anymore. We have it all; it's just the it's just the willingness to to give up, give up our kind of control. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think the, the cyberpunk element of that, I think, will drive that in real life, though, is that the corporate profit, like, not having to pay, like, hundreds of thousands of drivers all over the world to to work lorries or whatever, or taxi drivers or whatever, um, anyone that does that type of, of job of driving a, a vehicle, like, that could effectively be made completely redundant from an insurance point of view. In the theory, I think you could possibly make, you know, cars that can drive with, like, an accident rate of, like, 1% or less, you know. Um, so I think, ultimately, it seems funny that the the kind of uh, corporate profit is something that could drive this to happen in real life. Yeah, well, I believe we're at that kind of tipping point at the moment, so I think... I may have dreamt this. I'll need to verify my facts after this. But <laughs> I believe that there is, I believe that there is haulage happening in the states at the moment, completely autonomously. It's either Tesla trucks or, or similar. But they still have, they still do pay a driver to sit there and, you know, wake up and take control if something happens, which is a bit of a kind of bizarrity. It's, it's, it's the same as we talked about with the planes like commercial airliners for years that they for for the most part the pilots are fairly redundant they, they take they, they, they do the takeoff and they do the landing but it's for the 99 percent of the time it's controlled by computer or it's guided by computer and yeah and drones have become a major a major yeah, thing in uh, warfare yeah, as well yeah, drones, drones as well and it's i think i think again they, they talked about it that they could have made the airline industry a lot more efficient a long time ago, we're talking about the kind of nineties here. If they'd removed the, the pilot's cabin and you know got rid of two guys that were probably getting a couple hundred grand between them a year in salary, um, you know, to take them out of the equation and just have it have it um, AI controlled. And it's the technology again exists and it's been proven to to work without any issues. But the idea of you know, putting yourself inside a an aluminium tin can phone by a robot <laughs> and sent 30,000 feet into the air. I, I don't know. Again, I think I'm up for it. Uh, I want someone else to go first, though, if that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, one of the, the kind of sub conversation of this would be that inevitably, as things become more and more automated, humans are going to have fewer jobs. And that's definitely another aesthetic we didn't mention about cyberpunk. There's definitely a thing where, that, yes, all, all, all the corporate people in the, the setting are, you know, wealthy and doing really well, but there definitely is a thing about how the rest of the society is pretty poor and really living, just getting by, scraping 
scraping to survive really I mean, survival is one of the key really that is the point of the cyberpunk game is that you just need to su- su- survive this twisted reality um, but yeah. I, I do think that yeah, it's interesting about the you know the wealth at the top, but then at the bottom there's, there's people living in extreme poverty, which you know we're seeing it on our, um, our televisions all the time. I mean, food banks in America as well now. So you know the biggest economy in the world, and they can't afford to to feed their own there people. Ten, well. ten cities and, and these sort of things in a lot of major major metropolitan cities in America as, as well as all over. In, in fairness, a lot, of, a lot of capital cities like that. I think I think the the backlash to automation has yet to be realised as much as it possibly will come. I think that's my if, if I'm if I'm doing if I'm doing any Nostradamus paid predictions here. I think that will be you know once once the war on drugs and the uh, COVID and and all that kind of stuff settles down. I think the next big thing will be loss of work to automation and certainly my line of work is more like that, that's what I kind of do, I'm maybe the bad guy um, You're always a bad guy I hate, hate to admit it, yeah but I think, I think my, my my biggest villainy is yet to be realised is when I <laughs> basically, yeah so, so automation's a massive part of what I do, is just trying to basically put people out of jobs which isn't isn't great, but you know, better to be part of the solution than the, the problem, I guess. I, I don't know. Mwahaha. Mwahaha. Yes, exactly, as I, as I, as I stroke my cat here. But, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's coming, I think. Um, and I think, sure. I think the backlash from that could be as bad as anything we've seen so far with, with protests and, and you know, what we're seeing like in, in Portland at the moment about police and, and racism and, and then the kind of, to a lesser extent, the freedom marches against wearing masks for COVID, that kind of thing. I think, I think the, the protests to be seen after mass unemployment through automation from the corporations could be could trump all that, perhaps. Certainly, that's another strong element that's in cyberpunk is kind of sticking it to the man, as it were, and um, being against the system, trying to bring down the system. That's def- there's, there's definitely a yeah, strong anti authority. Yeah. Um, yeah, theme to, to cyberpunk. So I think we'll just kind of try and tie up here because I think we've went on a bit. Um, so just getting back quickly to technology, there's you can also get cyber limbs, which is you know you can literally have a, a limb shot off in the game and you can have a brand new one grafted yeah. onto you. No, no about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. I forgot you had a mishap with a submachine gun that took your foot off or something, was it? It was, yeah. I think, I think again, it's something we can talk about a bit more. But from memory, you don't, you, you have to. There, there's a kind of gameplay element to see how good a cybernetic you get. Is that right? It's, it's not simply a, it's, it's to do with what you can afford and, and you know how good a doctor you can find and all that kind of stuff. So you can either get some really cool kind of enhancement which actually is better than your original leg or you can just get like a, a cyber peg I think you <laughs> get that yeah but there is um, there is also a, an element of chance as to how much humanity you lose yeah that's the main downside of all yeah, this the, of the technology is that 
the more of this stuff. I, I don't think there's so much what you're suggesting, Craig. I, I don't think you can it can go wrong as such. I th it's more the how much humanity you always every time you're 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 doing something that's I, I think for, adding technology it reduces your humanity until the point when you end up as a cyber psycho, which is when you just go on a kill a kill crazy rampage and you become an NPC and there's a new roll up a new character. Um, yeah. so I think the big things talking about is mainly governed by money, like because you can accumulate like credits in the game. So how good of a thing you want to buy is. Like... Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I think now thinking back to it, it was basically I couldn't afford a great one or a great yeah. doctor, so it was one of those ones that you'd be healing for weeks as well and. Yeah, it's, it's one from a GM's point of view that you don't want to give the players too much cash at the start because yeah. they just go crazy and you just end up with a bunch of tanks in the game um, <laughs> and you want them taking a finesse and pick carefully the things that they want and not go over yeah, so, so my, my advice to anyone considering playing the game I guess would be to if you're going to jump on top of a truck and fire a submachine gun while riding a truck maybe wait until a few weeks in where you've got a bit of a, a savings account sorted <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, the machine guns are definitely different. It was to do with fumbling, and uh, yeah, we can maybe talk about some of that in the mechanics in a, in a future podcast. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I never mentioned was that you can get chips, which you, you can learn skills by just plugging a chip in. And so you get that thing in the Matrix where when it happens, it's fam the kind of famous scene where it's Neo says, I know Kung Fu. That's literally what happens with these these chip things that you can plant in your head. You learn a new skill, which is a which is a cool idea, um, and I really liked it when it happened in the Matrix because I, I was familiar with this idea and I thought, yeah, that's that's really good. That's like the cyberpunk game. Um, so there was that, and um, yeah, obviously there's a. I'm not going to talk about it in this podcast. We can talk about Netrunners in a future one. Um, but yeah, the, the, you can have reality happening in different levels, the same as in, in the Matrix film where you get the reality and then you can also set the game in the virtual reality. Um, I think you've got to really have a team all of Netrunners to do that if you want to go into those different levels um, because the way the game's set up, it's not really that satisfying. The, the Netrunner player essentially goes off and does a sub-game while he hacks into the corporate machine. And so as a, a GM... And I think for players as well, it's not particularly helpful. It's it, it kind of it's a, it's splitting the party immediately. But as I say, it's like a sub game within the game, and as as much effort and as thought. And I think it's all good ideas in a practical sense. The netrunner side of the game doesn't really work unless you're all netrunners or you're not. Uh, and we we played it more as we weren't netrunners, and you could hire a netrunner who would go and do all that stuff, so that we yeah. could focus on the action. In the reality, if you like, but it's a definitely an interesting thing that you could play a game like that. That you could you could have it coming in and out of virtual reality and, and have those two realities, and or you could have multiple virtual realities, I suppose, built upon each other and get into like an Inception type scenario where you're you're dealing in different <laughs> different settings. Um, so you you've got all these kind of possibilities, which is a great thing about the, the cyberpunk. Um, game gives you lots of possibilities for all sorts of different storytelling but um, one thing I would always have in cyberpunk and I don't know if you would agree but this would be ultra violence um, because, the, because the combat system is uh, 
is really lethal anyway. Um, but I've always, you know, thought it should be like a, a John Moore film or a Paul Verhoeven film, you know, Robocop yeah. or Total Recall or Starship Troopers, where it's, you know, everything's blown, you know, just insanely violent. Um, and yeah, maybe it's just, <laughs> maybe it's something about sci-fi geeks, but yeah, that's something that's, I've always liked in a lot of the kind of films and, and comics and books that I've read. I've always liked when they're kind of over the top with the violence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. <laughs> it's, it's probably something we miss a wee bit with Star Wars. Uh, certainly, I think Star, <laughs> Star Wars is just blasted. Yeah, you shoot them and that's it. But yeah, you, you lose the gore factor. Uh, yeah, and I think I think that was one of the things flipping between playing Star Wars and, and Cyberpunk was a lot of times we had to remind ourselves that to do things a wee bit more Star Wars and <laughs> not always take headshots or if you get a, a critical success in Star Wars you describe what you did and a lot of the time would be you know shooting in the head with their you know, laser pistol and his head explodes in fragments you go mm, that's not very Star Wars though, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely very star, uh, cyberpunk though definitely yeah exactly so um, anyway yeah I think uh, or probably the, the other things just to kind of wrap up would be to mention that and the, the robot gives kind of key tenets or you know things that you should be doing in cyberpunk style over substance um, is the first of those and basically means that you should always look cool uh, when you're doing anything and uh, you should always be wearing mirror shades and you should always be yeah d- delivering uh, one liners and so on like a, like you just walked out an Arnold Schwarzenegger film uh, from the 80s um, there's also attitude is everything so you, you should be you know ramping up your personality and so if you're if you're a, a solo that's you know you should have an intimidating presence and you walk in like you own the room um, and really you know go to extremes with it I, I suppose Johnny Mnemonic would be a good example of that where, where the kind of characters were all a bit like, yeah, they're a bit cartoon, weren't they? Or a wee bit kind of over the top. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's one of the things, one of the elements of the game that maybe I didn't struggle with. But I think I think as a as a player, you're trying to maybe optimize your character a wee bit. By the same time, you also want to try and indulge in a lot of these these things that maybe aren't the best path for your for your character in terms of survivability or or whatever but I guess that's the role playing element of it coming in there not the pure mechanics driven gameplay yeah although the the uh, the last well one of the, the last two things one of them that, that comes into that which is always take it to the edge it says you know you shouldn't hold back you should be risking everything in a game which is hard when the when the rules are particularly brutal um, because I think you're when you yeah. know that the combat is so deadly it's probably you're probably more minded towards, um, you know, taking hiding behind cover, you know, and, and taking pot shots. Yeah. But um, I, so it's I, a funny, I one, it's always... funny one to offer as well, because the, I think because of the, the character creation, which I think is something we we'll talked about in another episode. But you know, the amount of the amount of involvement in creating a character and doing the backstory compared to some other RPG systems, you don't necessarily want to just walk in the first room and get shot to pieces. Yeah, that's Given true. A bit of time investment, you know? No, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's designed in a way that promotes you to get 
augmented and experienced mm-hmm. that part of the game because it had yeah. a, a built-in aspect where you're potentially going to lose like an arm or a leg or whatever. Um, yeah, it's just a bit of a, a curve to get to that stage of actually being able to afford these these things without risking, you know, taking massive risks for big payoffs as well. Yeah, I think that's why they kind of include like. I'm pretty sure there was like some pretty budget like replacement link. <laughs> yeah. um, so like in theory, you could end up like in a bad position, essentially, mm-hmm. um, which I suppose might motivate you to to go along with some of this corporate greed, which is like a a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And the the last thing which would make. GMs tear their hair out all over the world as it says to break the rules uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, a horrendous idea for a GM um, to encourage yeah. their players to do but yeah, break, break every rules within the world just don't break the, the game rules because the GM will have you for that <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, so it's, it's something interesting actually, I'm, I don't, maybe, maybe not done my research here but I'm just trying to think of other are there other Cyberpunk RPG systems out there other than Cyberpunk 2020? I'm guessing there is. I'm pretty I mean, sure there is. Um, I'm just, I'm just I'd be interested to see how they compare again. It's maybe not, it's not, one for, not one for now, but yeah, I'm just interested how they compare and how they deal with things like the party being split between realities, etc. I believe there was a version of Cyberpunk for the GOP system. And and wasn't there or what was that? There was a computer game that was something Shadow. I can't remember. Oh, Shadowrun, yeah. Shadowrun, yeah. There's yeah, an RPG yeah. of that, which, mm-hmm. but I don't really have any experience, so I don't. <laughs> I don't want to digress in those ones because I really don't no, have anything no, to offer. It'd just be interesting for a wee bit of a just a different way of looking at it. Because I think I think that's one of the things mechanically. I think there's there's things in Cyberpunk 2020 that could be improved upon, but there's also are brilliant. So. I think as well that uh, Judge Red, which I, I play as well, definitely has a lot of cyberpunk elements in it. That there's a, yeah. the, the sheer scale of the city, and there's a, you know there are perps that do have you know kind of cybernetic arms and mm. things like that. It's not as grim. It's not really doesn't quite fit into. It. Well, Dread is grim yeah. in lots of different ways, but it's got a lot more insanity and a, a lot more kind of satire and humour. Yeah. And for a start. They've got weather control, which means it's always sunny. It's always sunny in treads. So that's a you know that doesn't fit right with cyberpunk for me. But anyway, yeah, and yeah. Hopefully that's given you some insight if you're listening, if you still are, <laughs> to the uh, the world of cyberpunk. And yeah, the next the next uh, few um, podcasts that we'll be doing, we'll talk more about the the rules um, and experiences of playing cyberpunk and um, I began to some of the GM inside the things and, and how you should go about creating a cyberpunk world and and uh, yeah some of the tropes we think you should should in the elements you, you should be using in those um yeah thanks Craig and Bob for for joining me for the chat and uh cheers hope you enjoyed it as well and um yeah we'll speak to you all soon thanks very much then bye Cheers. Bye. Cheers.